coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group. This is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the DNS podcast. In 2017, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics released what they called a Pledge of Professional Civility. As a way to help foster camaraderie among the nutrition and dietetics community and encourage constructive engagement among peers. A few years later, COVID happened, and it seemed like the idea of civility sort of went to the wayside, not just in healthcare, but everywhere. We are fortunate today to be joined by an expert in workplace civility, registered dietitian nutritionist, Dr. Nina Ruth. Dr. Roof currently works as the Assistant Vice President for Family Consumer Science at the Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service and is also an adjunct nutrition professor in the Department of Nutrition and Family Sciences at the University of Central Arkansas. She holds a Doctor of Philosophy in Family and Consumer Sciences Education from Iowa State University and is a Certified Nutrition and Wellness Educator. Dr. Roof has been a leader in nutrition and dietetics since 1990 practicing in clinical, community, management, education, and administrative settings. She has provided nutrition counseling in various facilities throughout her career, including psychiatric hospitals, long-term care facilities, and with families of children with autism, food allergies, and feeding challenges. Her research focuses on mentoring, ethics, workplace civility, and leadership with multiple peer-reviewed publications, national presentations, invited speeches, grants, and personal funding efforts totaling over $360,000. Dr. Roof exemplifies the quote by Rory Vaden, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you because leadership is service. She has served as an Ascend site reviewer, chaired the Ascend Accreditation Committee, served as president of the Council of Administrators and Family Consumer Sciences, and served on the Academy's Ethics Committee. Dr. Roof is a fellow of the Academy and is the speaker-elect for the Academy's House of Delegates. She has mentored numerous professionals and students through her work as an educator and professional associations. For more than three decades, she has taught clients and students how to embrace healthier lifestyles, through nutrition, wellness, and behavioral management. She is a strong supporter of experiential learning and interprofessional education, especially study abroad opportunities. She and her husband are active in their church, and they have one adult son who is also a family consumer sciences professional. In her spare time, she enjoys painting, traveling, and writing. Dr. Roof, thank you so much for joining us today on the DNS podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. In your own words, tell us what it means to be quote unquote civil in the workplace. That's a great question. It um, means treating each other with respect, courtesy, politeness, and consideration. It means just being aware of how our words and actions fall on the ears and hearts of our coworkers. So when we think of it in these terms, it becomes a little easier to ask ourselves, 
would I want to be talked to or treated in this way? How have you identified either subjectively or via your research a shift in civility since the COVID pandemic? Most definitely, uh, both subjectively and research bears this out, that there has been a shift in uh, civility since the COVID pandemic. And the shift is not all negative, the, sh the shift that we've seen. And I'll, I'll start with some negative examples, and then that way we can end on a more positive note. We have to remember, too, that for a lot of people, the pandemic brought illness, it brought fear economic tragedies, and personal heartache. And this led to an immense amount of stress and anxiety. For a lot of us, we immediately had to go behind the computer screen to do our work. And that blunted a lot of what I call our peopling skills. And we did that for a long time. It wasn't just for a day or two or a week or two or even a month or two. A lot of us um, had jobs that could be done remotely. Some of us did it, some did, some didn't. And so that working remotely, you know, led to kind of that blunting of those peopling skills. So when those that could work remotely, when they came back to the work site, there was a change in how we were used to interacting with each other. There was the new stress of getting COVID being to now being around people again and interacting with those who have a different opinion about vaccines or social distancing. And we found that even in healthcare and in healthcare education, there are differences in personal practice and in opinions around these things that can impact civility. As a leader, I often have to give it bad advice, whether it's during the pandemic or not. And I have to do that, but I don't have to do it in a harsh way. If I did, no one would ever listen to me or follow my leadership. Another thing that uh, the pandemic brought about that we're still dealing with in certain industry segments are disruptions in supply chain, which impacts consumers and businesses' abilities to readily get items, which is tested patients. This has also resulted in a resurgence in supply chain regionalization and efficiency by businesses and a focus on sustainability by consumers. So demands for services and programming from cooperative extension service agents and community nutrition dietitians is booming. So that's a positive that has come out of it. The vaccine and public restrictions seen uh, during the height of the pandemic brought out opinions on both sides of those public health campaigns. It also showed us gestures of financial and emotional support for our frontline workers balcony sing-along, clear waters and the canals of Venice. And the pandemic spotlighted the realization that some people can work very productively from home and the fact that others can't. And so people that are in, you know, HR hiring decisions in their organizations, you know, maybe had to change some, some opinions and some policies around whether they could allow remote work or not. It also forced some businesses to move to online forms and upgrade their electronic infrastructure, which for some organizations was long overdue. And these rapid changes brought additional stress, which further impacted civility. So, yes, there were many shifts in civility due to the pandemic. 
what impact does the lack of civility have on our relationship with others? Well, unfortunately, we, we've all seen that it can sever long-term friendships. It can drive wedges in families. And it can create environments where productive work is impossible. It provides um, a great opportunity for training. This must include ongoing conversations around civility, culture, and clear expectations in the workplace. Then when those expectations are, are communicated, they have to be firmly held. Your employees must know that you have their back and that you will support them. And so questions I always like to ask when I do training or, or have these conversations is, does your, does your workplace have an anti-bullying policy? And is it enforced? Do you have an ombudsman position in your organization? Do you know who it is and how to, how to contact that person? And if not, then that is a great place to start the conversation. Well, we're talking to or we're targeting with this podcast, healthcare workers, specifically um, registered dietitians. So when we think about incivility, how does that influence the care we provide to our patients and our consumers and customers? Well, two of the pillars, as we know, of patient-centered interprofessional patient care are teamwork and communication. So without civility, patient care can suffer, leading to poor patient outcomes. And unfortunately, this can be on a whole spectrum. Bullying, verbal abuse, sexual harassment of, you know, of our colleagues or of, of the dietitian. It can lead to reduced job satisfaction. It can cause medication errors, surgical errors. And we'd all like to think that workplace incivility would never lead to a poor patient outcome, but unfortunately it has. And that can impact patient morbidity and mortality. And when we think about incivility, it's really more like you, like you just mentioned, it's more than just not being nice to one another. So when does incivility cross a line legally or ethically speaking? Incivility is over the line and crosses the line legally into workplace harassment when the conduct in the workplace is known or ought reasonably to be known as unwelcome. And, you know, that word unwelcome, it sounds very subjective, but there are legal definitions to guide this. And this includes workplace sexual harassment and refers to conduct that causes others to feel alarmed, distressed, or uncomfortable at work. And this can be based on, as we all know, race, religion, sex, national origin, age, disability, or sexual orientation. But it doesn't have to be limited to that. It can also be where incivility causes a situation where a person is creating an environment that keeps others from being able to perform their job duties. So if there's a situation that causes a reasonable person to dread coming to work on a regular basis or keeps a good employee from being able to perform their job duties to the standard they were used to performing and efforts to remedy the situation have not been successful, it has crossed that line. So if you're an employee or if I'm an employee who is the recipient of incivility and I, I think that it's impacting the, my ability to do my job effectively and efficiently, what should I do? There are some great, that's a great question. And typically you will follow 
first of all, follow your policies. Whatever your employees' policies are, you follow them. Um, typically, that would inv involve telling that person to stop, that their actions or their words are unwanted and offensive. The main thing that you have to do is document it. Document the event, whatever happened, you know, and at the moment, because in the moment, I know when I'm the recipient of it, or even if I'm a bystander and I see it, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm, you know, in my 50s and I'm still shocked that people do this. But if I don't write it down right then, it's easy to forget the details. So document it, report it to your supervisor immediately. In that moment, it's easy to forget the details. So document what happened, the time, the date, the details. It's important to do that as soon as possible. Ask others who were present to do the same because, you know, they may have seen something from a different angle or a different side, you know, and, and try to keep emotion out of it. Try to, you know, stick to the facts and keep copies of things like emails, voice messages, text messages, any other communications. Make and keep copies of anything um, details like offensive postings, posters, signs, anything that supports what you experienced. That way, you know, you, what you're trying to do is document a pattern of behavior. And the more information that you have from as many different people as you can speaks to that pattern of behavior. Well, I love that you mentioned taking notes and doing it immediately, right? Because as human beings, we tend to fill in the gaps with stories right and when you're when you're talking about something so such such as this that's so serious we we don't want to wait and then recount and change you know change details whether intentionally or unintentionally in our mind and then you know we're not telling the true story of what happened so documenting those details i think would be very important and helpful should the situation continue or escalate absolutely well, I understand that you recently guided several cohorts of UCA students to Florence, Italy to immerse themselves in the Tuscan culture. Tell us about that experience and if you witnessed any um, similarities or differences to the United States with respect to civility. So the laws in Italy are different and we weren't really in workplace settings in Italy except to shop and eat. So the culture is very different there. And their laws are too. For example, if someone is trying to steal my purse on the street, I have to give it to them and not fight back. Now, if they physically attack me, I can defend myself. But if they don't physically attack me, I can't fight them. The native Italians there that we interacted with, they, um, they wouldn't do this. And they take great pride in that fact. It would be other tourists from other countries that would like pickpocket or try to steal something. And only once, and I've, I've gone over there, you know, three years taking cohorts of students. Only once did I witness a local Italian yelling at another Italian. And this is because one of the men's dogs barked at another man's dog. Um, and most Italians have pets, mostly dogs. These are the most well-behaved dogs I've ever seen in my entire life. And you mostly see them when you're out, you know, walking around the streets or at a restaurant. Um, and most of the restaurants are open air. I mean, rarely do you go inside. Sometimes you do, but um, even inside they're there. And I never even realized the dog is there until they get up to leave. And I'm like, oh, there was a dog. Um, but it's there. I mean, they're literally, the. you never hear them bark, ever. 
Um, but apparently one of the dogs got excited to meet his fellow dog as they were walking just out in the street and just barked like a, like a hello bark, not even a big, not a growl, just a bark. And the owner of the dog that the dog got barked at was yelling excitedly at the owner of the other dog to control his dog and teach him how to act. At least that's the best I could understand in my limited Italian. But he was so animated in his conversation, I thought he was extremely mad and that they were about to come to blows, like hit each other. So I ducked into a nearby dress shop. I didn't even want to walk, continue walking down the street. I thought they were fixing to, you know, fight. And I alerted the shop owner. She looked outside and after a couple of seconds, she just laughed and said, oh, it's nothing. He's just having a conversation. And I'm thinking that big of a conversation here in the United States means someone's about to be hit or worse. And at the end of the conversation, the men were laughing and hugging. And a few seconds earlier, I thought, you know, they might enter each other. And so what looked to me like a very uncivil interaction was just how they how they talk to each other over there. And so it was very confusing. And what I thought was they're fixing to, you know, fight each other with fists was not that at all. And so very, just a very different interaction. Whereas if that had happened here and it had been in the workplace, I would have thought, oh, we're going to need to call security. <laughs> you know, something bad, call HR, call security, something bad's going to happen. And so very, very different culture. But in our orientation with the students, you know, that was where they told us about their laws and, and how different it is. And that, you know, if someone comes up and takes your backpack or your purse, you just have to give it to them unless they physically hit you or touch you, then you can defend yourself. So I just thought that was very, very different. They said, but I, they said, we promise you it will not be an Italian that does that to you. So very interesting. So how did your students react to being in an environment or a culture that was so different than what they were accustomed to? Well, they loved it. They embraced it. They, they were kind of like me shocked and and like, are you kidding? Are you serious? And and very rarely did we have any altercations. I mean, once in a while, you know, someone would, if they didn't follow the rules, they would get pickpocketed. Like you never, don't have your phone in your back pocket. Don't have your purse open. Don't have, you know, all the rules that we tell them to do to protect themselves. If you're in a, a very busy place with lots of tourists, you know, put your backpack in front of you. Don't put it on your back. If they didn't do that, then sometimes they did get pickpocketed, but it was very rare. You know, if they just followed the rules, nothing. I mean, I never had any issues with anything. And I'd say of all that, like if we had 100 students, I'd say 98 of them didn't have any issues. Bringing it back to kind of the big picture of civility, what else should a person do if they witness or they're on the receiving end of incivility, specifically in the workplace? I'd say the main thing that they should do is talk to that person, explain to them, you know, if they can, and sometimes that's hard to do, but talk to them, tell them to stop, document the event, report it to their supervisor, and it it may be a situation where they need to go on up the chain of command and report it to their human resources department. It kind of depends on what it is, but they also um, need to make sure that everyone that was there that witnessed it, if they could, you know, request them to also document it. And then just keep that documentation because 
if if someone is being incivil to you, they probably are to other people as well. And I like to think of it from a, a standpoint of, I, I call it, I try to Brene Brown everyone with the brushing inventory, the gratitude thing, or the generosity thing, where it's like, I want to extend the, you know, assume that someone just doesn't know, you know, and I know that's naive to some degree, but I look at everything as a teachable moment and a training opportunity that if we document a pattern of behavior, then they need some training. And if if they're doing it to you, they're probably doing it to someone else. And if we get enough of a pattern of behavior documented, then HR or their supervisor has has documentation to say, you know what, Sally or, or Jim or whoever, we're noticing this pattern let's let's work on a different approach and let's train them on that different approach so that they can be their best in the workplace and that you know that gives them some some background and some um, documentation to go off of well we're almost out of time for this episode but i just wanted to ask one last question how can dietitians do a self-check to ensure that they themselves are demonstrating respect and really promoting a civil working environment? Well, fortunately, we have a lot of tools in our toolkit. Um, I would take the civility pledge each year just to keep that um, those concepts reinforced in my mind. Also, reviewing the code of ethics at least once a year to keep that fresh in your mind. I have to remember, too, that intention and impact are two different things. Just because I don't mean to hurt your feelings doesn't mean I didn't hurt your feelings. And that doesn't get me off the hook. And so I have to remember that. And and putting myself in the hearer's place. If, if what I said to you, if that was said to me in the way it was said, how would I feel? How would it land on my ears? And if... If I was treated this way, the way that someone is being treated, how would that feel? And if I hesitate for even a second, then I need to rethink my words and my actions. And there's always time to monitor and adjust. There's always time, you know, to go and say, you know what, I'm sorry. And not an I'm sorry, but because that's not a true apology, but just I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that again. And and make sure that, you know, can we start fresh? Civility is an ongoing goal to work toward. You don't go complete a training check a box and say, I'm good. I've got it. I'm, I'm set till I retire. It doesn't work that way. We have to be aware of it and work at it every day. Well, thank you for that great advice. Um, with that, we will go ahead and conclude today's podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Roof, for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today about civility. Sure. Thank you for having me. And listeners, be sure to post your questions and comments related to all things nutrition support on our member forum at dnsdpg.org. Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening. 